It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Listeners, you can now support the continued growth of the show. Go to glow.fm slash e2 for more info. That's glow.fm slash e2. If you enjoy the content we're producing here and our show is part of your podcast routine, check it out. We certainly appreciate the support. Today, we're speaking with coach Dana Cavalia, who following a 13-year career with the New York Yankees as a performance coach, helping lead the team to a World Series championship in 2009, has now taken his craft outside the world of sports and is coaching C-suite leaders, tech CEOs, venture capitalists, and other high performers. In this episode, we chat about Dana's experience working with the Yankees, of course, and being alongside the greats such as Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, A-Rod, and others unique culture and lessons learned from that 2009 World Championship team, the power of clarity, confidence, and conviction, lessons and tips from Dana's book, Habits of a Champion Team, and much more. So with that, let's get to it. Here is my very enjoyable, very insightful chat with Coach Dana Cavalia. Enjoy. Of all the folks that we've interviewed, I mean, we have had coaches in the past but nobody with a background as interesting as yours, I have to say. So you spent you know, many, many years with the Yankees. You were a director of performance with the team in 2009. You won the, the World Series with that team. So you spent tons of time around some all-time greats, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Robinson Cano, and others. We'll talk a lot about that experience. But before we do that, the story behind how you got into the organization actually starts with you as an unpaid intern. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. That's how it all began. I was, um, I actually decided I'm from New York and I decided to go to school down at the University of South Florida in Tampa. I strategically chose that university because that's where the Yankees have their spring training every year. And I said, well, if I'm close to it, I got a better chance of being involved with, with it, meaning the team. And growing up in New York, I was always a big Yankee fan. Uh, the story goes, you know, there was a spring training practice in early February. And I decided to take a drive over to that practice and sort of watch the team play. And I was on the other side of the fence with a camera phone, taking pictures and sending it back to my friends and family up in New York. Later that day, I went back to my internship that I had also. I was doing an internship at the time with the University of South Florida football team in the strength and conditioning department. And the head strength coach there, you know, called me into his office and said, hey, I just got a call from the Yankees head strength coach and he's looking for someone to hand out waters, hand out towels and basically clean the place while he's out on the field. 
would you have any interest in that? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I just got back from there. I'd have tremendous interest in that. When do I start? And he says, you start tomorrow. So I end up going back to the field the next day in my beat up old car that I was driving at the time. And the day before I parked a mile and a half away because I couldn't afford to park any closer. And this particular day, I had a spot reserved for me up front. I walk in the main office. They throw a credential around my neck, C for clubhouse access, F for field access. They throw me in Yankee gear. And next thing you know, I'm in the middle of that field. I was taking pictures of a day earlier. And uh, that's when my journey really got started in professional sports. So I was, I was 19 at the time when that whole thing started. So it was pretty cool. That's so young. I mean, did you feel a bit starstruck at the time? You're wearing the pinstripes, you're out in the field around these guys, you're a baseball fan yourself. You know, I did for the first couple of days. And when I was asked to come back and come back again and come back again and come back again, I realized that I had a, a great opportunity and I could either sit there starstruck or I could get to know the stars and then begin to create and show value. And that's what I did. At the time, I always say I knew nothing. I really didn't. I was just getting started in my professional career and in my professional journey. I didn't know a whole lot at all. I was enthusiastic. I was passionate. I was excited to learn. And I always tell the story. This is back when core training was just sort of becoming a thing and functional training. So I sort of had this competitive advantage because I was young and I was very open. I wasn't fixed on anything yet. So I would literally go home and put together routines. And when the head guy would go out on the field and a player would say, hey, could you take me through some core? Can you take me through some functional work? I would just pull out my notes from the night before and I'd take players through different things. And I started to build really some personal relationships, but also some good personal equity too. And that actually is what helped me out because about a year or two later, I was still interning for free, but uh, they hired a guy in front of me and they gave him like a million plus dollar deal for three years. Anyway, I was his assistant and they ended up firing this guy about a month into the season. And um, I had to jump in at a, at, a, at a young age and I became the head guy right there as a, I started as an interim head coach. But what helped me drop the interim title was the fact that a lot of the players went to bat for me and just sort of validated the work that I was doing and the enthusiasm that I had to do that work. You know, you talked a lot about these habits of successful people. Uh, we'll get to your book in just a moment, but one of those habits is knocking the bully over and facing your fears. So what was the internal self-talk going on at the time? Was there any bit of imposter syndrome going on? Listen, I'm going to tell you something real quick about self-talk, imposter syndrome, and all that. I still have it, you know, and I think it's one of those things that I will always have. I think many of us deal with it. You know, I coach some very successful leaders that have cashed out their businesses a couple times. They have no reason to have negative self-talk, especially in the business space, and they still have it. So I think in a way, it's just part of the human experience, you know, or the high achiever experience. We always feel like we could be doing more. We could be better. We should be better. But as much as we push ourselves and beat ourselves up, we also have to remember that we're all in this journey, right? We're all on a journey. We're all in the fight. And all you can do is your best. I wrote about that on actually LinkedIn today. I said, you just got to do your best. And for some people, many people, we've never taken the time to define what our best actually is. So if you could define what your best is and then go do that, it helps with that imposter syndrome. It helps to better the self-talk because you can rectify the self-talk by asking one question, did I do my best? And if you answer yes, then you're good. And if you answer no, get back to work. For me, in my journey, 
in coaching others and, and coaching myself. It's always that internal dialogue and that internal jam that has to be right. And I use questions to get it right. What types of questions beyond asking whether or not I've done my best can someone ask themselves if they want to go deeper on this? Another question is, if you have a feeling, why do I feel this way? And when you start asking yourself questions and you get in the habit of asking yourself good questions, you'll be amazed at the answers that you start to get. And if you answer them genuinely and you answer them authentically, you'll start to see some of your own crap and you'll start to see and hear the excuses that you tell everybody that you don't make and that you don't have. You'll actually start to discover them. And yeah, and for some people, they're like, I don't make excuses. I'm not a victim. I don't believe in, in loser talk. But when they ask themselves questions, they actually start to see where some victimizations show themselves, right? Or some of that negative self-talk presents itself. So questions promote great answers. One of the other exercises that you've talked about somewhat related to this is this idea of thinking differently. And this exercise of thinking differently starts with a couple steps. Can you walk us through that? I coach on the premise of think different, act different. You know, so I always encourage people to think differently. And, you know, every morning I try to read something fresh, read something different, even read things that I don't think I would be attracted to from even different standpoints that I may not align with. But when I do that, it allows me to start thinking differently about things. So one of my habits is I write on LinkedIn every morning and I realize that I have a choice in doing that. I could either sit there with what I'm currently feeling based on what I'm currently feeling or what my own personal experience is, or I could sort of cue different thought by reading or listening to others and it sparks something within myself that allows me to express differently the way I, than, than I would if I were to just sit there on my own. You know, so think different, act different, think different, act different. What prompts one to think different? What we take in, right? Our inputs. So I'm very big on controlling inputs and also not being so closed and stubborn and only sort of reading or aligning or listening to the same things over and over again that I like or that I want to be around. And it forces a different thought process and a different cadence. Yeah. No, I've noticed a lot of your LinkedIn content ever since we got connected. And I like the format. It's sort of very direct. It's very clear and concise. And you've talked a lot about insights. And I think if I'm correct, a lot of your insights actually came from learning from trainers who were in the world of, I guess you could say sports, but training horses, uh, training thoroughbreds in Saratoga. Can you just rewind back to that time and, and what you gleaned from that experience? You know, when I started my uh, coaching business, working work, you know, with executives and different companies, I modeled it after a, a horse trainer who's very well known. His name is Todd Pletcher, and he runs a very, very tight barn. So if you are a extremely high net worth individual, oftentimes you will bring your horses to this gentleman, Todd Pletcher, because he's detailed. He's organized and he has a plan for each one of those horses, how they're going to train, how they're going to perform. It becomes predictable based on their training and based on their pedigree and genetics and bloodlines. So when I looked at what I wanted to do in the world of coaching, you know, coming out of pro sports where you're working with top talent, I said, well, what do I want to do in the world of business? I want to do the same. I want to work with top talent and I want to treat that top talent much like the thoroughbred, ready to run, ready to race, ready to compete horses that they are. 
And I started to do that. So for each of those that I work with, right, we have individual training plans. Each person's working on something unique. Very few are crossing over and working on the same things. They're similar things, but each person is working in their own way. And we build a plan. We meet them right where they are. And we build a plan from there. As a coach, right, once you understand who somebody is and what their makeup is, then you can st- curate, you know, a trajectory for them and you can start to put together performance optimization plans for them. And that's really what I do. And it was modeled, yeah, after the competitive um, horse racing business. Yeah. So as you say, I mean, you've expanded your roster of clients. You're working with CEOs, folks in the world of private equity and venture, other entrepreneurs, corporate teams, sales teams. There's a long list. I mean, who gets the most out of this system and what's the common thread tying all of these client archetypes together? The person that gets the most out of it is the person that wants to be better and knows that they could be and feels as if that they have greater potential than they're currently taking advantage of. So the whole idea behind coaching that I deliver is to help you maximize that performance and maximize that potential you know, without filling you with gimmicky bullshit, really. It's hitting you straight. It's hitting you where you need to be hit and touched and maneuvered. But also at the same time, I'm also very open and empathetic and listening to what people are dealing with and what their needs are. So that's why in working in professional baseball and working in professional sports, we were dealing with players that had asset values of $500 million, $300 million, $150 million. You have to be very personalized when you're working with that audience. It's not about a general prescription. It's not often generalized. It's much more specialized. So I found the same is true with every executive that I've worked with and leader and also with every team, right? Every team may say, hey, I want to win, but every team is built and structured differently, right? So we have to know how a team is built, how a team is structured, what the strengths are, what the friction points are, and help them work through that. Sometimes it's letting people go. Sometimes, like I wrote in my new book, Habits of a Champion Team, you got to fire yourself as a leader and rehire yourself under different terms. It's just what has to be done in order to optimize. The uniqueness of this team that you were around when they won the World Series in 2009. Can you just describe, you know, as someone who was on the inside, what was it about the Yankees? I mean, you know, talent aside, I took a look at the roster this morning. So talent aside, what were some of the intangibles, the, the, the chemistry, the, the team culture that was special back then about that team? So the first thing we had was extreme clarity. So I have this concept, I, it's a pyramid, and it's if you have clarity and you have confidence, then you can have conviction. So we were very clear, therefore we were able to achieve confidence, and as a result of being clear and confident, we were very convicted in what it is that we wanted to do. So for us that year, it was to win our 27th championship. See, sports does a great job of creating clarity. And when one has clarity, personal clarity or team clarity or corporate clarity, winning becomes that much easier because you've overcome the what is it that we want to do here. So early in every season, especially let's go back to even our championship season in 09, we knew what we wanted to do. Everybody was there to win. There were players that took lesser contracts to join a group of winners. And as a result, there was a selflessness and a burning desire for some to achieve something they've never achieved before, which is winning a championship. We also had, and we're fortunate enough to have players like Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, and Jorge Posada, who had won several championships. 
So it validates the concept of if you want to win, surround yourself with winners. So when we have clarity, we have a winning pedigree and a winning DNA. We had an organization that had a win at all costs mentality. And when you combine those things with players that are doing really whatever it takes to win, you have a great chance of winning. Now, alongside all of that, we also brought in great talent. So great talent, clarity, great pedigree across the board, organization that does whatever it takes and is willing to do whatever it takes, makes the team feel supported. When you put all that together, it creates a good mix. Your book, Habits of a Champion Team, these are stories and insights from some of the world's top performers in sports. You probably pull a ton of these lessons out of your experience with the Yankees. There's so many great ones here. I don't know which ones are your favorite. I've highlighted a few that I wanted to ask you about. Starting with, if they don't respect your time, they don't respect you. Love that lesson. Can you just describe what that one's all about? Yeah. Well, I got that from Derek Jeter. I remember one morning I was, uh, I had a player ask me, Hey, can we work out early? And it was about night. We were in Boston. We were staying at the Ritz Carlton hotel and I'm in the gym waiting for this player at, I want to say it was right around 10 AM. That was usually our start time. 10 AM, 10 15 comes, 10 30 comes, the player's not there. 10 45, I'm supposed to work with Derek Jeter. And he sees that I'm there. He says, what are you doing here so early? I said, well, I was waiting for so-and-so. And he just kind of shook his head and he said, he followed that head shake with, listen, I'm going to tell you something. If somebody doesn't respect your time, they don't respect you. I never forgot that. And I've really used that principle throughout my life and said, hey, if you can't make something, don't blow it off. I mean, don't just blow it off, right? Let somebody know, hey, here's what's going on. Call the play. And it reminds me because like Derek, we'd work out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'd work out at three o'clock. And sometimes coming from New York City to the stadium, there's traffic and he would always call. It wasn't a text. It was a call. It said, hey, listen, I'm running late. I'm not going to be there for three, but let's go ahead and get our work in at this time. Does that work for you? So it was, I'm late. I can't make it. Can we do this now? Does that work for you? I just never forgot that lesson. And you think about, you go through life, you think about how many people blow off a meeting. They just blow things off. One of the other things I wrote, it's everywhere. It's a disease. So I wrote about this in my book. I said, that same meeting that you were going to blow off, if that meeting, at the end of the meeting, you were going to get $10,000 in cash, would you blow that meeting off? Would you be so quick to blow it off? And that's a great question to ask yourself. Remember, I started earlier talking about the questions we ask ourselves. Before you blow something off, ask yourself, if I was getting paid X amount to do this, would I show up? You'll quickly size yourself up and you'll start showing up to more meetings. Because you'll realize how disrespectful you are to other people by just taking advantage of their time. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? 
it's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. No, it's a great point. I also love this one. Off days are off days. That is the lesson, but you know, very hard to execute given the addiction and reliance on devices these days. When you say off days are off days, like what do you mean? Well, I got that from Joe Torrey, great manager of ours, and I've had great influence in my life, so it's been fantastic. But, you know, I've seen some real high-strung managers that are like, oh, you have to come in, we should, you know, there are no off days. You're basically, you got to come in because of their own neuroses. So they want you to behave in a way or a manner that aligns with their neuroticism, where I saw in Joe Torre a great and confident man and a great and confident manager that said, listen, my team will perform better if I give them time to rest, if I give them time to express themselves and be themselves outside of the game. And we were at our best during those times. And it is very hard today to unplug. It's one of those things that we actually have to practice. I was talking to um, Brian Scudamore a couple of weeks ago from 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Sure. He's been on the show. Actually, Brian was one of our first 10 guests. Great guy. Yeah. And he, he's great because he's like, listen, I, I have my uh, assistant change my passwords. I can't get in my phone. So it's basically useless to even try to br- go on it. Now, that's obviously his deal and it works for him. But off days, they should be off days because the brain, the mind, everything needs a, a space and a place to regenerate. It's just what we need. It's why if you're not getting restful sleep at night, you need to figure out how to get restful sleep at night by asking this question, why am I not getting restful sleep at night? And then you'll start to find out the reasons why you're not. Every person, it's different. You know, I have found in working with some executives that are very you know, well-to-do and well-known, they don't sleep well because of some childhood traumas that they had. So sleep is um, essential. When you get your ability to take the time off and you take that time, make sure you take it. Here's another one. You are never overdressed in a suit. You know, some of these really stood out at me, obviously. This one, again, quite a unique lesson. But where does this come from, especially given today that everybody is underdressing, everyone's in business casual, so to speak? We used to always um, travel in a suit. A rule in baseball specifically is you have to wear pants to the ballpark when you're a visiting team. You have to wear either a full button-down shirt or at least a polo when you're on the road. So, and, and when you get on a plane, you have to wear a suit and you have to wear a tie. And what I took from that was, it was amazing how many compliments we would get from people on how we were dressed and how how we were dressed was directly correlated to our professionalism as a team, as a group of people, and as an organization. So today we very much discount what we wear or how we show up or whatnot, but it's important that we value that. We present ourselves in a way of professionalism. And today, professionalism, I think, has slipped quite a bit. It's like casual has overtaken professionalism, but how you act, how you speak, how you dress, how you present yourself, it all matters. And again, being groomed in an organization that has policy around these things, some people rebelled against it. Those weren't guys that were fit for our club, but those who embraced it were. 
And, you know, I'll use an example of a player like Johnny Damon. You know, he looked like a serial killer when he was with Boston. You know, all overgrown, he becomes a Yankee and he becomes this beautiful looking man, right? All shaved, all clean. But, you know, our organization had a standard and there was a standard across the board on when you travel, this is how you dress. When you go to the ballpark, this is how you should present. When you communicate to the media, this is how you should speak, right? When you come to our organization, facial hair in this capacity is not welcomed. You know, you had to be groomed. These are all little things, but they're big things. My grandfather passed away. He was 92 or 93 years old. And he said, listen, every day, make sure you do your hair, make sure you shave, make sure you put on some cologne, right? So these are little lessons and um, I think they play well. I do too. I mean, even as someone that sort of converted our our office downtown into remote and now my office is a home office, I still find it extremely valuable to get up in the morning, do a workout, take a shower, put on a fresh set of clothes rather than just rolling out of bed and going down to my office in sweats. There's something about a mindset shift that happens when you just anchor the day in a set of routines. I'm going to give you another one on top of that. And until recently, I didn't give much thought to it. But we started in the world of performance to give sleep hygiene more focus. And I have found something that has really helped me sort of end the workday and start the personal wind down time at the end of the day. Like I, I actually, I start my day with a shower and I end my day with it as well. I never, was never a one that formally wore nightwear, right? Or like pajamas to bed. And my mother-in-law... Like last, I want to say it was two years ago, bought my wife and I like these matching, you know, pajamas. And I put them on and I said, I feel so relaxed wearing these. And then I started to continue it. And I found that like when you actually set yourself up in a wind down from an apparel standpoint, from a routine standpoint, it puts you in a different mindset. And I thought back on this and I said, you know, one winter, I spent the winter living in Miami with A-Rod. And he had, you know, a whole staff. But one of the things that he did that I found was absolutely amazing was he had around seven o'clock as the sun was sort of setting, he had turned down service in his own home. The lights were dimmed. The music that was playing was much more aligned to physical and mental relaxation. There was no TVs on and no blue light of any kind. And you just sort of wound down and chatted and, and you were ready to just go to bed. It was kind of a cool thing to see what would be practiced in a five-star hotel practiced in somebody's home. Look, as someone that's struggled with sleep in the past, I have a great deal of respect for these hacks and they work. I remember uh, CC Sabathia, one of our players, was having an issue like winding down after the game. Now, you know, he's six foot seven. He's a big boy. And I said, see, have you ever thought of taking a hot bath after a game? Like, you know, because after a game too, like you shower after a game, you go to dinner and you're still wired because sport is a night business, you know, and, and business in general could be a night business too, if you have to cater to clients or whatnot. And um, he said, no, man, I've, ne I've never done that. And he started to actually take baths and use the bath salts that were in the hotel and I found if you could take somebody's core temperature up to induce a sweat before bed and then sort of reduce the sweat with a nice tempered shower, you've totally relaxed the nervous system of the body. And these guys found, again, great value in that another hack. So 
I still am always trying to find pathways to greater performance for people. And for every person, it is absolute trial. We stress test and micro test everything. And there's some things that people say, oh, I've tried that. And when you ask another great question, well, how many times have you tried it? Oh, I've done that once. I've done it twice. So I have a rule that whatever we micro test, it has to be a minimum of two weeks of consecutive testing before you can make any basis of opinion on it. Speaking of pathways to performance, nutrition is an area that is critical. And you've talked a lot about nutrition in the past. This concept of the perfect plate, which I actually watched this morning, you have a formula for this, but just describe what is the perfect plate. And also my follow-up question to this is, has your formula for the perfect plate changed over the past you know, four or five years since you came up with this? Well, when I came up with the perfect plate, again, I, I'm working... I come from a a professional sports background where I'm working with players that come from all different income levels. They come from all different parts of the world. So how do you create simple, functional, and useful strategies for them? So what I did was I literally would draw a circle and I say, here's your options. I draw a line down the middle and I'd say, on one side, you got a protein. On the other side, you got a vegetable. Or we could split the vegetable side in half and we could put a fruit there as well. So it was a way for players to get good, clean food, clean energy, and be able to make good, fast decisions. Now with players too, we did supplement, we did use some protein supplementation, certain brands that we found to be um, you know, less invasive on the gastrointestinal tract. And we would also utilize carbohydrate accordingly as well from very clean, dense sources. I was trying to simplify nutrition for people in the most simple way. I actually still use that formula. We can get as uh, intensive with it as possible. It's actually, if you think about it, in many ways, it has elements of paleo nutrition. It has elements of keto, as long as you're managing the type of vegetables and starches that you're taking in and the fruit intake. But it was a, a way of eating and a strategy that would allow you to have consistent energy without the dips and without the constant desire or need for caffeine stimulation in order to have higher energy and higher performance value. Can I ask you about your stance on caffeine? Do you believe that there is a healthy way to have caffeine as part of your routine? Clean coffee, good quality espresso, or are you anti-caffeine across the board? So, you know, our players would constantly want to have energy drinks, right? They'd always be going towards Red Bull. Like Derek Jeter was one of those guys at Red Bull. And then it was almost causing like a reflux situation. So players would ask me all the time, hey, what can I do for energy outside of eating and improving the way in which they eat? I find most people have energy deficits because they suffer from mild dehydration. So we would get their water intake way up. So we knew that the hydration was there. And then what I would do is I'd have a chef or a prep cook. He'd put shots of espresso out before the game. So players would actually have espresso shots as a caffeine-based stimulant versus, say, some synthetic you know, energy drink. My stance on caffeine is this. You have to know how you personally react to it, what your window is in which consumption of that caffeine has a positive effect and isn't carrying over into the evening time. And You also have to know what kind of a person that you are. If you're a redliner, someone that is always just hot and ready to go, you know, caffeine could really stimulate you in a negative way. 
where if you're somebody that is a little toned down and caffeine lifts you a little bit to give you a boost, that's positive. So for me personally, I have to ask myself again, another question before I have my coffee. It's like, Hey, how are you feeling? If my energy is good and I'm feeling even like a little, like already I have some pop caffeine throws me into a negative cycle. I get almost jittery to the point where it's anxious and I, I feel like nervous. That's not a performance enhancement tool at that point. But then there's days when I'm, I'm very calm and I use it strategically, then, then it's fine. But for every person, there's a different reaction. I, even alcohol, I don't, I don't drink. I'm not one of those weirdos. I just, I never drank really. But I find that alcohol for me acts as a stimulant versus, you know, something to reduce uh, arousal. That personalization element is so important. Dan, I got to ask you about the world of coaching now. There's lots of folks that are probably currently being coached who are listening. And if not, they're certainly interested in understanding a little bit more about what coaching means and obviously how to source the right coach. And you have written about this and you say, quote, the coaching world is filled with hacks today. And I'm paraphrasing. Many corporate dropouts took a weekend certification and are now trying to coach and focusing on pure fluff, end quote. So what kinds of questions can someone ask a prospective coach when vetting for fit and the ability to deliver value and results given this world that is so noisy? I think a big question is understanding how that person sees the world. Like, how do you see things or how would you handle this situation? What are your experiences or what led you to coaching? The reason I wrote that statement that you just read is because there's a lot of coaching theorists out there. Coaching has a very low barrier to entry. If you want to be a coach, you could just put your shingle up and says, I'm a coach and say, I'm a coach. And you can go ahead and market the heck out of yourself and be a coach. That doesn't mean that you're good. It doesn't mean you're effective. It doesn't even mean that that's your passion. It's oftentimes, I've seen a lot of people use it as just a, a way to make a living outside of doing what they were formerly doing. It sometimes is a segue career. They have a, a corporate job. They say, I want freedom. I want autonomy. I don't want to be in a corporate bureaucracy. I'm going to go be a coach. And then they realize that there's a business there and you actually have to run a business. You actually have to show up. You actually have to give of yourself. And just based on what I see, there's so many selfish folks out there that coaching actually becomes their worst nightmare. It starts off good and then they realize, oh my gosh, I have to constantly service these people. I have to always be there for their needs. For me, I was always used to it because I dealt with demanding players in a demanding organization. And now I deal with demanding CEOs that are always dealing with radical emotions, whether it's, hey, we have a merger and an acquisition taking place, or how do I deal with this co-founder of mine who's driving me nuts, whatever it may be. So you got to just make sure that the person that you're working with, there's alignment and alongside alignment that that person is not afraid of you. I'm fortunate because I had a career before going into private coaching. So I do the private coaching because I enjoy it. You know, I don't feel the same pressure of like, I got to get five clients this month in order to keep the lights on. So I have found that I'm not afraid to wrestle these alligators. So if a, a high profile CEO comes in or a, a big organization, there's no intimidation in that like, oh, well, they could just stop paying me at any time. I don't really care. I want to make you better. And that means I got to push you. I got to challenge you. I got to lean on you. And I can't let you just 
push me around the coach. So, but you got to work with someone that's going to challenge you, push you, and isn't afraid of you. And if you could find that and you find someone that really does have your best interest in mind, you got a great chance of, uh, of going to another level and closing that potential gap that so many want to close. Yeah, I love it. So insightful. Dana, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's been a great chat. Habits of a Champion Team, for those that want to read your book, incredible lessons. We hit on a few of them today. Where else can people follow you, Dana? Obviously, we talked about LinkedIn. Where else do you hang out on social if you do it all? Honestly, I've pretty much just migrated everything to LinkedIn. And then I have my website, danacavalia.com. Books are on Amazon. I do a daily blog, actually, that's different than what I write on LinkedIn. I call it the Champions Newsletter. I literally, every morning, I believe coaching is just a touch, 30-second read for people to keep them excited and to keep them going. So that's all on uh, on the website. And, and that's it. Remember, you're never overdressed in a suit. Dana, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate the chat. Cool. Adam, thank you. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Entrepreneurs Exposed is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at scriberbase.com. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. It helps our audience find us. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash E2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Hi, I'm Lessa Gaudet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid.